Welcome to the Become the Leader podcast, the show that helps you build the skills that inspire others to want to follow. I'm your host, Jody Holland. This episode was originally recorded on The Chat, a show sponsored by KFDA News Channel 10 and KGNZ AM 710 in Amarillo, Texas. Good morning and welcome to The Chat on Newsday Amarillo and News Channel 10 too. I'm David Lovejoy. Good morning, I'm Megan Collier. I'm the stupendous Chuckalicious Chuck Williams. And Jody Holland. It's Wednesday. We get better each and every time we get to sit down and talk with Jody Holland. Uh, always great advice for just the home and the workplace. Jody, how you doing this week? Doing fantastic. I'm waiting for one day Chuck to introduce himself as supercalifragilistic. Mr. Chuck. That's, that's coming. No, 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 uh-uh, no. That's You're not getting fantasy. there. Either that or the guy from Ipanema. One of those two. <laughs> I, I got your eponema. <laughs> well, uh, what are we diving into today? We're going to be talking about company culture and how the culture of any company or any organization impacts whether or not people are engaged, whether they want to work, and most importantly, whether they give what's called discretionary effort. And that is about two-thirds of the capacity of any employee is up to them. It's their choice whether they are motivated to actually give that additional effort. Jody, you know, like, well, like most people, when I'm down on my luck and looking for a job, et cetera, et cetera, it, it helps to research a company. And if that means going on Google or whatever people go on to research it, I mean, it's not like you can go to the worn ads in the paper anymore. But doesn't that dictate as to how you're going to act even before you get there, before you even get to the interview? It does impact it. And nowadays you have Indeed, you've got Glassdoor, you've got Monster, you've got ZipRecruiter, and all of them have an evaluation of the company as well as placing ads. So the game has changed quite a bit over the years because of technology and the advances that we've made there. And I think one of the things that's most important to remember is the way that we collectively have a personality as leaders within a business will determine what the company culture is. So you have, you know, the first aspect of culture is going to be, are we in alignment with where we're going? So do we as a leadership team have a specific direction and the kind of values that we want to live by? Because otherwise people go to work and they They go, well, I didn't go to work just because I wanted to go to work. I went to work because I wanted to do something that I felt mattered and I needed to make money. So the money part is always going to be important. I don't think that's ever going to go away as an initial motivator. But when people leave an organization, a lot of times they go back and rate on places like Glassdoor what the company was like, what it was like to work for those leaders, uh, what their experience was. Because 81% of why people leave is either their boss or their boss's boss. So if we know that 81% of turnover is caused by leadership, bad leadership, we also have to understand that people are talking about it. And we're not in alignment on what kind of culture we want to create. You're going to create a culture no matter what. You either create it by investing in it or you end up paying for it, (laughs) one or the other. Speaking of paying for it, let's can we talk a little bit more about incentivizing culture and product or culture sort of being a product of of compensation? And you, I mean, you can do a lot with, you know, the compensation of your employees. Do you agree? 
Yeah, I do agree. And I, I think there's a level and it's different for each person, but there's a level that you have to pay for people to go, okay, I'm no longer thinking about the money. So for example, I've done this since 2003, where if I really wanted to hire a person, I would say, what do you need to make in order to not be thinking about what you need to make? And that would be my question. And they go, well, what does the job pay us? I don't know. I'm not filling the job. I'm hiring you. And I know you can't do that in larger organizations. So, I mean, I hope people don't get up in arms like, oh my gosh, he said, pay whatever you got to pay. Well, you kind of have to pay whatever you have to pay. And we've seen that coming out of this pandemic. You know, Hobby Lobby, for example, raised their pay for full-time employees to over $18 mm-hmm. an hour. That's, right. That's a lot to start off with. You've you got Amazon coming to town. They're saying 15 is their minimum. Most organizations that for full-time positions are hiring around $15 an hour now. Uh, for part-time, obviously, it's not quite as much. But if you think about it, let's say... Uh, Megan, you were going to go to work for an organization and they offer you more than what you feel like you're worth. You feel a moral obligation to give greater performance because you were offered a greater price than what you saw in yourself as value. But if you go to an organization, you say, hey, I really want to make X and they go, how about X minus 5,000? And if you do these five things, then we'll raise you to what you wanted. Well, now they've just said, we don't see the value in you. And therefore, you have a tendency at a subconscious level to go, well, I mean, I might get it up to that amount that I wanted, but I'm not really going to give any more discretionary effort over what that would take. That discretionary effort is what's making the difference for companies. Uh, Again, it's a one to three ratio. Average employee produces at the one a superstar produces at the three, but the difference between an average and a superstar isn't really whether or not just they have the capacity, it's whether they have the desire. And when we have values that we're living by and we can demonstrate with our actions what those values are and we have a purpose that we're living into as an organization, people get a little more excited. No business goes into business to make money. Making money is a byproduct of doing a great job at the thing you went into business for. And so, you know, radio station doesn't go into business to make money, but you sure don't want to lose it. So you went into business right. to to share news, to entertain, to engage your audience. And then people go, oh, man, I like what you guys are doing. I want to be a part of it. I want to advertise on the radio because you do such a good job of entertaining and engaging your audiences. So money's a byproduct, but it is still important. Jody, I've seen a rise in in one thing in cultures of businesses here recently, and it might be due to the fact of the pandemic or that that idea of resignation November where employees are moving around. But the old adage, the squeaky wheel gets replaced. But I'm starting to see if you're the squeaky wheel sometimes, you get rewarded, you get a bonus, you get a raise. You get Is that a part of just the culture we live in overall in the workplace now, or is that due to the pandemic or just to to the shortage of available talent out there? Yeah, I think it's more the fear of losing. And so I've, I've seen a lot of employers make their decisions based on some short-term thinking, but that's pre pandemic as well. I mean, if you look at which game you're playing in business Simon Sinek wrote a book called The Infinite Game. It was kind of a rewrite of a book from the 80s. But 
in the book, he talked about if you're playing the finite uh, or fixed game, that's like football. You know there's four quarters. You know what the time is. You know what the score is at the end. You have a winner and a loser. But in business, we're supposed to be playing an infinite game. An infinite game has no end. It has no real defined winning or losing. And so when you're making decisions in an infant game, you're making decisions for 15 years from now, you know, 20 years from now. In a finite game, if you're playing that in business, you're like one organization looking at another and going, oh, they did this. They added a location here. We should add a location across the street. And you're competing with somebody else. But in reality, in business, you know, to, to get people and to get them to want to stay, when you live by the values and you have a purpose and you focus on fulfilling that purpose, you don't hire or change or add a location because somebody else did. You do what's going to engage the people that you need and inspire them to want to perform. Because here's the funny thing about money. When, when we have a strong purpose, which is one of the six basic psychological needs of, of humanity, the money is not that relevant. I've seen lots of people leave really good paying jobs for jobs that didn't pay near as much because they got to do something that they were passionate about. That passion, it, it beats every time it beats the money. So when you're just competing on money, you're playing a fixed game, a finite game, and you just have to keep out paying somebody else. It's like sign-on bonuses in healthcare. One of them goes up, the other one has to go up, and then they have to go up, and they just keep going back and forth, and pretty soon they're all broke. And they're like, well, that didn't work, but it's never worked. But we just keep playing the same right. wrong game. You know, is there such a thing as incentivizing and no matter how you cut it, can you incentivize somebody to come to work for you and just bring something that's going to add to the culture of your company? Yeah. You know, bring something, br jumping out of the box, bringing something new. Absolutely. But it has very little to do with money. Again, it has, you've got to pay enough that people aren't thinking, oh my gosh, I really need another job. Uh, so when you pay at a level where they can pay their bills, they have a, a decent life, they can go out to eat some, that kind of stuff, then everything after that has to do with the culture itself. The culture has to be fun and engaging and collaborative and purpose-driven. You have those things. That's the incentive that people need to bring their very best. So when you come to work, Chuck, if if when you get there, everybody's like, Chuckalicious, how you doing, man? It's so good to see you. Yeah. And they're excited to see you, and it's fun, and you goof around a little bit. But you also have this amazing purpose to fulfill, and you feel like you're accomplishing great things together. That's when people go, man, I love coming to work here. We want purpose. We want to grow and get better. We want to have a sense of belonging. We need all of those things that's the incentive. It's emotional incentive that encourages us to bring something better. And it has to also be a safe workplace. I see so many workplaces that have harassment and discrimination and, you know, all kinds of stuff where people just don't feel safe. You're not going to collaborate if you don't feel safe. You have to feel safe and feel like you belong and that, that you're wanted there in order to give your very best. Um, when you're thinking about a culture, a workplace culture, I think that probably a leader might think to go in one one specific direction, right? You have one culture, one guiding light for mm -hmm. your space. 
but perhaps it's important to integrate multiple cultures into the over like i guess you know thinking about bringing in a bunch of different things that's not maybe not just yours as the leader your yeah. culture right so i i agree with that i kind of know where you're going i mean you, you look at what we've talked about with diversity equity and inclusion over the last couple of years and really, I mean, DEI has been a big thing since I've been in business 22 years ago. So you want to embrace the variety of people and the variety of perspectives, but a part of the culture is we embrace people. And so it. it's still one culture, but it's embracing perspectives is a part of the culture. So it doesn't have, like if, if everything has to be the CEO's opinion, that's a horrible right. culture. And people are not going to be engaged and they're not going to give their very best. They're going to go to a meeting and just wait to be told what to do because they don't want to get yelled at. Right. But, a, you know, a part of the culture might be, let's say David's the CEO of the, the company and we all come in for a staff meeting. He goes, hey, I'm pretty excited about the possibilities of some changes in our programming. What do you guys think we could do that would be even more engaging? And then we all have a chance to talk about it and come up with ideas together that's embracing diversity of thought, you know, embracing people where they are, loving people for who they are is another aspect of culture. So you'll pick what are your guiding values in your culture. And typically you have three to five at the most, and then you pick the actions that demonstrate those values. That's how you create alignment. It's to understand here's what we're doing that demonstrates who we say we are. Uh, Scott Adams and the, the Dilbert principle if you ever real, read the Dilbert comic strip, he goes, very few company mission and vision statements do anything. And he goes, my mission statement is to scratch my bald spot once a day. I don't make any more money because of it. I thought you were about to say something else. Oh, yeah. oh my God. But, I was like, I thought you said, like, I was wait like, a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> he said, it doesn't help me make any more money, but I'm fulfilling it better than most companies are. And so he said, you know, most companies are like, we are here to provide an amazing environment where people are loved and cherished and blah, blah, blah. And then times get tough and they lay off 30% of their employees you know, right. without cutting the pay of the top leaders. So they demonstrate the opposite of what they say their values are. So people don't believe them. You have to demonstrate in action what you say your values are. Otherwise it doesn't matter. You're not in alignment unless your actions and your words are going in the same direction. Uh, Jody, my question is, what as an employer or as management, what are the keys to setting up that culture? To either change it, uh, revitalize it, or make it grow. And then on the other side of the coin, if I'm looking for work, what should I be looking for as far as culture in a workplace? So I think there's three pieces that you want to look for for a great culture. And when they don't have these, that's obviously the wrong culture. We've been talking about alignment of our values and actions. And I think the alignment of, of those as well as alignment of the destination that we're going to makes a huge difference. Because if everybody's on the same page that we're going to this destination, we get pretty excited. The second right. piece is the workflow piece. And that is, are you actually teaching your people to succeed? I can't even tell you the number of times that I've heard employees say, well, they basically just put me over in this position, said, good luck, and then came by and griped anytime it wasn't working. So you, you got to teach people what you expect from them. And training should be an ongoing piece. 
uh, one of the companies that I work with that's gone from three million to forty eight and a half million in revenue uh, since I started with them. They've never stopped training. I've been working with them since the end of nineteen ninety nine, and I I coach their execs and I do training on a monthly basis. But they've just continued to grow and grow and grow. When you're in alignment about who you are. You create specific training systems so that everybody knows how to do their job and can do it successfully. Then you give open, honest, this is important, and tactful feedback. Then things tend to work out. But, you know, like if if I come by and I go, Megan, I really don't like the way you're doing that. That's not feedback. That's griping. But if I say, hey, Megan, I noticed that you got this outcome from the thing that you were doing. Um Walk me through what happened because we had talked about having this other outcome and let's just collaborate to figure out how you can make sure and accomplish that. Feedback is back and forth. It is not one way. And that that's a huge mistake that I see managers make is they think it's such a one-way direction of, I just tell Chuck what's wrong, but I don't sit down and talk with Chuck to help Chuck become successful. Feedback is about coaching you to be more successful, not about pointing out your flaws. And so those three things, like if you don't have a training system, especially an onboarding system, that's not necessarily a very good place to go to work. You know, Chick-fil-A is masterful at their onboarding. They have like two weeks of training for part-time people. And that's why you, will, you won't trip them up. You go through that drive-thru, you're like, thank you. And they're like, my pleasure. Like <laughs> it is so drilled right. into them. That is, that is a core value is that it is their pleasure to serve you. And they act that way. It's not that they, they hired all the good people. It's that they hired people and made them really great people. And that's what the right kind of onboarding and the right kind of training will do is turn good people into great people because you prepared them for success. Don't hire people and then just cut them loose and go, good luck. I hope you don't fail. Because that doesn't work. You know. uh, Go ahead, Chuck. You know, Jody, it seems to me in past life, I've worked in banks, savings and loans in particular. And with all the deregulation, you may mention of the uh, outlook of the CEO and his opinion. I know two places I worked for. It was the outlook of the CEO that in my estimation, actually damned a place to failure. Oh yeah. Might, might that have led to the, what, deregulization of the banking business in itself? I do think that has a huge impact on things. You know, we, CEOs, um, they're, they don't know everything, but the CEOs right. that are fantastic are the ones that don't believe they need to know everything. They're the ones that hire really smart people, smarter than them, and then collaborate with them for success. The ones that are, are messing companies up are the ones that go, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be coached. I, you know, I know what I know, and that's all I need to know. You're like, uh, the moment you believe you know everything is the moment you start going downhill. So you, you really do have those savings and loan CEOs that mess some things up. Because they, they thought they knew everything. And it's not just them. It's right. every industry. When the CEO can't be wrong, they're not human, people don't follow them. And so I think feedback has to be able to go up 
as well as down. And it is a different perspective when you're managing up. I get that. But at the same time, if I have to be right every time, I'm not keeping anybody. It's just right. not going to happen. People are going to get mad and they're going to leave and they're going to go somewhere else. And then pretty soon they're going to go, man, all CEOs are idiots. You know, because <laughs> yeah. I had three CEOs in a row ahead that were bad or whatever. And so they, they take the three and make it everybody. And then that changes your attitude when you go to work for the next one. So we start developing this idea of what business is like. And then we react according to what we believe the idea of business is. So it does make a huge difference. You're right, Chuck. I was watching um, the documentary about Boeing. And yes. did you, have you seen that, Jody? You I have watch. not. I need to watch that. It's very interesting. I mean, obviously it's very sad. Um, and it's a, it's a terrible tragedy that, you know, the 737 experience, yeah. this, the max. But it's fascinating the way they framed it because it was a, a breakdown in culture that mm-hmm. essentially led to, you know, all of, you know, the death of mm-hmm. nearly 400 people right. uh, because, you know, Boeing had this amazing culture. They got, they merged. And then all of a sudden the culture didn't align with its employees anymore. You know, it was all, all like profit margins. And, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. it was, it, and it is interesting when you, I mean, obviously breakdowns of that scale don't happen every day. But it is it is important to acknowledge that it can be very, very dangerous, oh, yeah. you know, for society, for if you have a large company that caters to people all over the world, mm-hmm. you know, and is integral in, as part of our daily lives, that it can really have a very, very bad impact on our on our existence, you know? Yeah. And that's why I say so often in, in every speech I get a chance to give Profit is not the reason for business. Mm-hmm. Profit is a byproduct of being fantastic at your reason for business, but it is not the primary objective. And, you know, I do think that was a cultural breakdown just watching all of that happen because Boeing used to be an unbelievably yeah. innovative mm-hmm. culture where feedback was welcomed and everybody was good with, hey, let's, let's do this the right way. We're not here just to make airplanes. We're here to make people safe in airplanes. Yeah. And, you know, for whatever, I haven't watched the documentary. I want to watch it now. But when you get rid of, like, the order or the syntax that you're supposed to be pursuing your purpose, that's when it breaks down. And so the breakdown was most likely that money came first. And, right. you know, one of the, the topics I teach in our three-day leadership conference is called group think. And when you believe that you're not allowed to be an innovator, that you're going to have somebody go, well, that's going to cost us money and we're not going to do that. Well, you don't share the idea in the group, mm-hmm. but you walk out of the room and you go, oh my gosh, can you believe what that one said this time? We should really go back to the way we used to be, but they're not comfortable saying it in the group. That means you don't have trust. If you don't have trust, you are fully dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of companies that do not have trust within the organizations. They don't do team building. They don't do things that bring their people together. They don't have a mission that really people buy into. I mean, very seldom when I ask a company, hey, can anybody recite the mission statement? Mm-hmm. Like once in the last 10 years, I've had a company that had somebody in there that could do that. And it wasn't the CEO. So 
Wow. <laughs> you, you look at that, and I haven't asked every company that, obviously, but when you ask that question, do you know what the mission, the primary driver of this organization is? If they don't know the answer, then they're on the wrong track. And it needs to be simple. You know, we are here to help people become the leader that they would follow. Everybody deserves a great leader. That's my entire mission is that. So when you keep it simple and people get excited about it, they're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. And, and they get excited and want to move in the right direction. But, man, that breakdown, when you start realizing you've killed people because of it, that's bad. Um, yeah. There's a, a book called Good Business by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. And in his book, he talked about the companies that really went all in on living into a purpose. You know, companies like North Face that went, we won't even use cotton in our T-shirts that isn't organic. And it was going to massively raise the price of their stuff. And their board and their ownership were like, no, 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 it's a horrible idea. We're all going to go broke if we do this. It's bad. Like, we, we either believe in our mission or we don't. Mm-hmm. And we, we got to do this. And if we all go broke, he goes, I got the most to lose, the guy that was in charge. If we go broke, we go broke. But we're not going to go, we're not going to get rich doing the wrong thing. And so they went all in on their mission and their vision and their profits like quadrupled the next year. People were all in. We love a company that actually lives into their mission. We really do. You can almost like Megan was talking about, you saw Boeing, what they went through to expand. You can sometimes look at a company and see where they cross that point. Yeah. yeah. Where you're like, okay, this is, this doesn't look good from here on out. So uh, it is a huge phenomenon. Maybe there's been some negative precedent set. Maybe there's been some bad past, uh, bad past management. How do you start to develop and grow a new culture in a business, an existing business? So a lot of that has to do with, like, if you'll start with a retreat for your upper leadership to really set the direction. Uh, I have found a two to three day retreat. You can map out the values. You can map out the direction you're going to take for the next one year, three years, and five years. Then you can start getting the buy-in. You don't make change automatically. What mm-hmm. you do is you you kind of pitch the idea of the change, and then you have to invite feedback. If you're just telling people the direction that you're going, but you're not including them in the process, then you're, you're not really moving in the right direction. And I mean, not to get political, but I read a stat last week that there's only a 13% impact on the decisions that political leaders make based on what their constituents want. It only impacts their decision by 13%. That's basically worse than flipping a coin. Uh, right. And so sometimes they get it right with their the people that voted for them, but most of the time they do what they think is right. And so from a leadership standpoint, that's one of the hardest things for a leader is you got to drop the ego you got to drop that, well, I'm right, and I will change the world. And you got to get into, what do you guys want to do? Like, I want to get to this destination. How do you want to get there? Like, how can we do this the best way? How can we work together? And you get people excited and moving in the right direction, and, and they, get, they get into pursuing something that matters to them. When the mission and the vision become their identity, they're unstoppable. But we don't talk about the values, mission, and vision enough. So a lot of people don't get bought into that direction. That's where I think feedback comes in. If we've got an 
a really good feedback loop, what you'll find is in that feedback loop, we talk about what's working and what's not working. And we all want to go in the right direction. We want to get to results. Uh, Lencioni's book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, he said, you know, you start with, can we build trust? And can we build commitment? Then accountability. Um, see, I said that wrong. Trust, conflict, commitment, accountability, and then results. But uh, you don't build a pyramid from the top down. And he does it in that pyramid shape. You have to start with the base. If you don't have trust and you don't have good conflict, you're not going to make decisions. So people aren't going to be committed. The conflict part is, is it okay for me to disagree with something that my boss said? And, and when mm-hmm. we teach a model for disagreeing in a in an agreeable way, so we're not attacking people, but we're discussing outcomes and behaviors, then people get on the right track. But you, you've got to have that that focused direction and the feedback loop in order to get people where you want them to go. Um, I'm actually we're having a, a discussion. I'm on I serve on a nonprofit board and we're having a discussion about, you know, how to motivate our board to, you know, be re-energized. We're actually doing this today. How do you approach like a volunteer organizational board like that in the mm-hmm. same way that you would a business? Or is it are there certain, you know, subtle differences when you're developing a culture for something like that? Honestly, if you can get for profit businesses to think like their employees are volunteers, that's when you win the best. So from a volunteer standpoint, it's actually easier in my experience to get volunteers excited because they're there not because of money. They never even considered being paid to be on that board. They're there because they believe in the mission. Now the mistake, there's two mistakes I see with nonprofits, and I work with a lot of nonprofits. One mistake is they just let people onto the board that say, hey, I just want to be on the board, but there's Mm -hmm. no commitment Mm -hmm. from them. Uh, I worked for the Boy Scouts for four years back in the 90s. And the first thing I would ask for anybody who's going to be on my district board was, uh, I'm going to ask for three commitments from you. One has to do with giving, another has to do with time, and another has to do with values. And so will you give of your money, your time, and will you demonstrate the values that we hold dear in doing this? And that was part of how you kept people out that were the wrong people. Uh, I would rather have a board with six really committed people than 26 people that are just told by their boss, Hey, you need to go be on a nonprofit board. We need to be represented. <laughs> and you're like, right. why? Right. I don't want somebody to just show up to a meeting and go, yeah, sounds good. I want somebody that's passionate. So when you're doing that with a nonprofit, you get back to here's what's important. Here's why we're here. And I'm going to ask for commitments from you guys Let's go out and change the world. You know, uh, I don't care where you go in this. This especially goes back to the feedback issue on every board. There is always that one person that no matter what you do has feedback. You can say, I'm going to give you a million dollars. Nah, I don't necessarily know if that's right. Mm, yeah. You, you go to the devil. That's what you do. Yeah. Uh, what, you know, cannot that feedback be negative in a sense, even though in the long run, it is looking out for the company and the mission of the company? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you want to counterproductive. Yeah. And you want to control the feedback. So if you've got some somebody that's negative all the time, best thing that you right. can say, hey, we're going to go around the room. I want to tell them, why don't you tell me one thing that you like about this idea? 
And then we're going to go back around. I want everybody to tell me one thing you don't like about the idea. And you, you do that or you divide up the room. This side is for, this side is against. We'll go three minutes and we're going to switch. And, and so you control the positive and negative feedback. So everybody says something good and everybody says something bad. That way there's no group think. Group think is when you've got that, you know, angry person and they just keep going in that direction. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a great chance to hone these leadership skills. And I always say, no one can make you a leader. You have to learn how to be one. You have to grow into it. And then you as individual have to accept that leadership role. And a perfect way to hone those skills is Jody Holland's Leadership Academy. It's going to kick off on March 2nd through the 4th. Jody, fill me in on what we're going to see in that. So a lot of what we talk about on here, we go really deep into the specific skills that make a person a fantastic leader. And there's 12 skills that uh, through research we've been able to identify that have the greatest impact, whether you're for-profit, non-profit, government, private sector, doesn't matter. It's the same 12 skills in every industry. You just apply them within the framework of your industry. And so over the, the three days, we're going to hit all of those skills and we hit them in depth and people can find out the information about what those skills are just by going to jodyholland.com. It's on the homepage. Just look for that leadership Academy and it'll, it'll give you that description of everything that you're going to learn. If we have like a 450 page workbook that goes with it, it's got the handouts, it's got the textbook, it's got all of it together. I mean, this, this has been used as an executive MBA course on leadership at two universities. And so it's a really, really great way to hone your skills as a leader and ultimately to create the positive change that you want in your organization. The thing that will be the defining characteristic of companies that succeed versus fail is can they build great leaders? That's what's going to make the difference moving forward. Yeah, you have to have someone to pick up the mantle for you. Uh, you can go to jodyholland.com, find out how you can sign up, get those tickets to go see the Leadership Academy Conference, uh, Make 2022 your breakthrough year. Uh, each and every week, Jody joins us here with great advice, and, and it goes both ways. It's not only just for the workplace. You can apply these principles to your home life and your relationships to kind of understand the, the working, because really, what is a marriage or a relationship? It's a team. It's about building teams, and that's what Jody's about. Man, thank you so much, Jody. What are we going to dive into next week? Man, we're going to talk about transformational leadership, how you actually make changes happen. So we talked about culture this time. We'll talk about how you make it actually work next time. That's it. Jody, have a great week, man, and we'll see you real soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you guys for joining us for this episode of the Become the Leader podcast, originally recorded on the chat, Newsday Amarillo, News Channel 10-2, as well as KGNC 710 AM.